what I think it has done is that it's allowed us to have a lot more deeper conversation around the choices we're making with technology in the classroom, asking why questions a lot more than we have been before, um, rather than focusing so much on, you know, the shiny tool that we picked. This is Transforming Learning. Hey, it's Zach, and I need to interrupt a moment because we are doing an incredibly exciting thing that requires your participation. Once a month, we will be featuring a teacher challenge on an episode and attempting to tackle the challenge between the four of us on the show. We want to hear from you about the challenges you might be facing in your classroom this year. Every teacher featured will receive a gift card, and at the end of the school year, we will draw a name randomly from all those who shared to award a $100 gift card. To share a challenge and earn a chance to win, simply call our number and leave a message. That number is 616-965-6606. Again, 616-965-6606. Welcome back. I'm Zach. I'm here with Eric. And Eric, you spoke with Liz Kolb. Tell us about that conversation. Yeah, thanks, Zach. So it was an exciting interview for me to have with Dr. Liz Kolb. Uh, I have uh, seen Liz at several conferences, spoken with her uh, kind of in passing, um, but had the opportunity to meet with her in her office at the University of Michigan and have a conversation on some of the work that, that she's done, uh, specifically around uh, one of the new, uh, her newest book that, that she's written and published through ISTE, uh, Learning First, Technology Second. Um, so yeah, it was an exciting uh, uh, conversation to be able to have. Give us a little bit of background on Liz Kolb because she's, she's got a lot of work in the field of education and a lot of it related to the conversation that you had. So tell us a little bit more. She does, yes. Uh, Liz is actually a clinical associate professor um, at the University of Michigan in the Educational Technology Department. Um, and at the University of Michigan, she teaches courses uh, to undergrad, elementary, and secondary uh, students, um, but then also uh, teaches courses to the master's and certification level programs. Um, and she's authored uh, four different books so far, um, three of which uh, focused around uh, using cell phones in the classroom. But as I mentioned, this, this latest one that came out in 2017, Learning First, Technology Second, uh, she focuses on what she also uh, worked on developing was, it's called the Tripoli Framework. Um, and it's a framework to uh, measure the, the degrees of, of which technology can be integrated into a lesson um, to meet learning goals for students. So um, it's a, a really efficient framework, um, very um, self-guided for teachers and administrators to, to go through. Um, so it's a really great read, uh, very uh, concrete examples, um, and really guides you through utilizing the, the framework. Um, so she spends a little bit of time going over the past experiences of uh, that led up to uh, her creating the Tripoli framework. Um, one last little tidbit about uh, Liz. Uh, she's a former social studies and uh, computer technology teacher. Um, and she spent four years as a technology coordinator and instructional specialist uh, when she lived in Ohio. So it's a little bit about 
uh, Dr. Liz Cobe. Appreciate it, Eric. And if there's one thing that we've gleaned from her work as we have followed her work and as we've talked about her and her work is that even though it's centrally focused on uh, the topic of technology, everything about it is instruction, teaching and learning first. And even as the title of the book says, learning first. And I really appreciate in the course of this conversation that you had with Liz, you'll talk through the Triple E framework, you'll talk through technology integration and strategies and such, but it's all motivated by teaching and learning and great practice in teaching and learning. That's right. I hope uh, the listeners um, can just think about think about this framework and, and even pick up the book, um, read through, uh, explore the framework too. Uh, really be thinking about how to utilize the framework, not just with technology, but in any different resource that they're bringing in. Absolutely. Well, let's hear some of those ideas and more from Eric and your conversation with Liz Cole. Well, Liz Cole, this is very exciting to be sitting down with the author of Teaching First and Technology Second. Thanks for joining me on our podcast, Liz. You're welcome. It's good to be here today. Um, so, Liz, uh, I have to say, in, in reading your book, um, uh, I, the practicality uh, of it just really stood out to me. So I'm really excited to be kind of picking your brain about the framework, um, some of your background, and some of the things that, that you're seeing here at the, the University of Michigan. But before we kind of jump into it, Liz, can you just share with me um, what, some of your background? Uh, what brought you to kind of where you're at uh, here today? Sure. Um, well, I am a practitioner at heart, so it's nice to hear that the framework seems very practical because that is where my heart is in teaching. I spent many years as a classroom teacher, social studies teacher in Ohio, which I'm not really allowed to say at the University of Michigan. <laughs> um, but I uh, taught um, for about six years and then was asked to be a technology coordinator. And I kind of fell into it accidentally, as many people did back in the late 90s and early 2000s. Okay. Um, nobody else in the school was interested in technology, so I was kind of thrown into it. You were the one that raised your hand. I was kind of that, <laughs> that person. And um, so I learned on the job okay. and everything from kind of the nuts and bolts of how computers are built to software applications and using things in my classroom. I made a lot of mistakes now looking back on the choices I made, but I learned from them. And eventually I got to the point where I just wanted some more knowledge about being a better instructional designer with technology. And that led me to the University of Michigan and pursuing a PhD. Okay. And uh, as part of that pursuit, I, I realized at the higher education level, we didn't have a lot of um, practical knowledge around technology integration. We had some theoretical knowledge. There was some good research out there, which I wish I had known about as a practitioner, but we didn't have a lot of people bringing the research knowledge to practice. Mm -hmm. And I thought maybe I could help fill that hole. So yeah, Liz, if you can share some of your, your experiences, what, what things did you see or experience that really kind of helped you develop the, the, the framework? Um, what things yeah, did you see it that you could share? Sure. So one of the very first frameworks that I came across, and probably one of the early ones that many people are familiar with, is TPEC, yeah. developed by um, Michigan State University, which I'm also <laughs> not allowed to say here at the University of Michigan. Um, but uh, I really loved the, the framework um, for kind of 
um, giving us a sense of, of what we should be thinking about with technology in the classroom, with knowing pedagogical knowledge and content knowledge and technology knowledge. And I was using that fairly heavily in the mid-2000s. And my student teachers that I was working with were struggling with it. And they mm-hmm. kept saying, we get it. We, kind of, we get this framework but we don't understand what it looks like in the classroom. Yeah. Kind of what does it look like, sound like, and feel like? And the more I started to look at the framework, the more I realized this is a theoretical framework. It's mm-hmm. not meant necessarily to be a practitioner step-by-step type framework. And so it makes sense that my teachers were struggling with it. So um, I started to kind of look through and comb through kind of the hundreds of pieces of research around ed technology. And I started to pull out some different themes uh, of what teachers should be doing with technology and what maybe they shouldn't be doing, but things that yeah. we commonly do. And there were some themes that stood out. Um, and that's kind of what became the three E's. Uh, so in, in particular, a lot of pedagogical themes stood out. So the P in TPAC became extremely important. I always like to blow that up mm-hmm. when I show images of it because um, a lot of the research um, shared that even when you use the same tool, and maybe two different studies. And in, in one study, there were learning gains. Um, and in the other study, there were not. And you're using the exact same tool. Ultimately, what it boiled down to was the pedagogical choices that the teacher was making and those instructional moves around the tool. And so um, the Tripoli framework really became about the instructional choices we're making around the tool and with the tool and the tools that we're choosing more than an emphasis on the tool itself. Yeah. Um, or... Um, an emphasis on you know how cool it how how shiny of a way that you're mm-hmm. using the tool i wanted to get away from the idea that if you're using new technology it's better learning um, or if you're using technology in really innovative ways that that automatically equated to better learning um, because i noticed some of the frameworks would kind of focus on kind of leveling you up to you know transforming learning yeah. um, but sometimes that didn't actually make sense for your learning goal So I wanted to take it back to uh, the learning goal and making sure that technology was really supporting that learning goal. And so that's where those three E's ended up coming from. Yeah. And the the three E's are just so practical in whatever you're doing instructionally. And whether you're using technology or not using technology, when you develop that lesson, yeah, as we're working with teachers, what are they trying to do? What are the standards that they're trying to cover? And bringing the technology later, I think your framework really helps with that because, you know, SAMR or the TIM, they're always looking at the transformation level or the redefinition. It's like, you don't always have to be doing those pieces all the time necessarily, but engagement, the enhancement, the extension of the lesson, what are they really trying to uh, shoot for in their lesson or their unit? I think it has so much more practicality to it. Well, and one of the things that I emphasize, because I agree, um, the research does point to when students are using their higher cognitive skills, you know, in conjunction with technology, that that's better for learning outcomes. So I understand where those frameworks are coming from. Um, But one of the things that's important to recognize is you don't have to be doing it through the technology. Mm -hmm. You can be doing it in conjunction with what you're doing with the technology. So even if you're using the technology for like drill and practice, um, 
if you create pedagogical moves around that um, to get students to stop and pause their drill and practice and have conversations like a think, pair, and share and have a conversation with other students and ask them high-level questions around the content, you're still getting to those higher thinking skills, even if you're doing something a little more low-level with the technology. Yeah, and I I like how you talked about that, you know, even just pausing and, and having the the think pair share that co-use piece that um, I know in in the engagement piece that's something that I've seen um, kind of in my own classroom in my own practice but I see it with with teachers of they forget about these other skills sometimes the technology just becomes that tool that is individualized um, and it it really helps stand out that the technology can be both individualized but that co-use, participation, discussion, and and helping structure that. Um, I'm glad that you that that you've helped really point that out. Yeah, I don't think it's nothing new or earth shattering. Um, we know, you know, as educators, we know that students learn through social learning. Yeah. And we know it's important for them to reflect on what they're doing and to talk about what they're doing. Um, but sometimes we forget when we have technology in front of us because Sometimes the tech companies are saying, you just need to individually sit down and put headphones on and do this and you'll learn. But as teachers, we know that that's not necessarily how learning happens. Mm -hmm. So we have to remember that we're the experts on the science of learning. Yeah. Schools, relational, both with the teacher and the students. We have to practice those communication skills, those collaboration skills, and too much technology individualized is going to hinder all that, right? Right, Yeah. So... Liz, um, for the, the practicality of the, the ease, I really appreciate the questions. So the things within the framework that make you ask as you're looking at a lesson or even as you're thinking about a lesson, those different questions that teachers, administrators might look for um, from each of the E's there. Um, what, what experiences kind of helped you develop uh, those questions from from the for the triple E <laughs> well some of it was uh, some trial and error in the sense of I was working with a lot of student teachers and um, we were kind of trying to figure out what was helpful to them yeah. um, they're all informed by the research so each category for example engagement um, there's three things we want to see in it we want to see social learning we want to see minds on the actual learning goal we want to make sure that there's there are dist- not distractions or limited distractions from the learning with the tools that they're using. Um, But the types of questions we ask around that, we had to kind of play with a little bit until, you know, it it made sense so that when they would go through it and and ask the question, um, is it distracting or not distracting, they knew what that meant. Um, So it was was definitely some, some trial and error over some time to figure that out. So the categories were pretty strong as far as what we knew went under each one. Um, but to make sure that the questions made sense. Um, And, you know, one of the things that happens with the framework, I will get emails from instructional coaches or administrators or teachers or professors who say, I'm using, we're using the framework, but, you know, we had to adjust this question this way. And I say, that's great. If it works for you in that way, then absolutely. So, you know, each category and kind of the three pieces under each one is all what's researched and formed. The way you ask the question, you want it to make sense for you and your teachers that you're working with. So Mm -hmm. make it work for you. Yeah. And I, I like that the, the framework is easy to use, and it's great to hear that, yeah, customize it. Um, they should be customizing it. What are some 
maybe things that you've seen different districts or classrooms that are uh, implementing the framework that really kind of stand out um, that you say, oh, that's a great example of how they're using this, but more importantly, why they're using it and some of the results they're seeing. Yeah, I was really excited about a school district um, down in um, Valparaiso in Indiana um, had contacted me maybe a few years ago now and said that they were going to start using the framework. And they were very systematic about it um, rather than kind of pushing it on their teachers, the instructional coaches in the district. It's a fairly large district, and they decided to do a year-long study on it. Um, And so they spent a year, they read the book. um, I did some webinars with them and they did a bunch of cases together until they really felt comfortable and confident with how they could go through and use the framework as a coaching tool and that they were all kind of on the same page about what to be looking for and and how to ask the questions and then after that year then they started working with it with the teachers Um, and so uh, having the teachers um, you know sit down with their lesson plan and go through and evaluate their lesson plan and the instructor coach does the same on their own and then coming back together and looking to see where they're similar where they're different um, if they're both low in a particular category are there some instructional moves that they can make to make changes Um, I always say there's two things that you want to kind of ask yourself at the end of the framework um, if you're kind of in a mid to low range is are there instructional moves that I can use to make this a better lesson even if it's already a good lesson are there some things I can do to make it a little bit better hit the learning goals a little bit more or is this maybe not the correct tool? Mm. Maybe we need to choose a different tool to reach these learning goals because we're really trying to stretch whether or not it's extending and enhancing and engaging and learning. Um, And so asking those two questions um, with the instructional coaches and the teacher often helps to make even a good lesson better or a lesson that where really was maybe just a very gimmicky use of the tool, just completely changing to a different tool, even if it's not a tech tool, um, to make it a better lesson. Yeah, I like that idea because, yeah, like, even before we start recording, we we're talking about, yeah, some of the, the technology can be very shiny, can be very gimmicky, like you said. And um, what's the practicality of what they're trying to instructionally do, um, the, the pedagogical shift that they're trying to make? Uh, I think that's really great for people to really consider um, when they're they're thinking about that lesson. Do you see, Liz, uh, do you see teachers trying to evaluate uh, every lesson using the framework or what's the, the regular use that, that you uh, recommend for teachers when they're, they're bringing in the framework? So, I mean, it really kind of depends on how the, the school is choosing to use it. I know there are some administrators who are starting to use it as, as a coaching tool, okay. um, especially if they don't have an instructional coach in their school, and they're the one that is evaluating the teacher's lesson plans maybe four times a year. Yep. So they're using it as kind of a guide of questions to ask um, in a similar way that I just mentioned, um, kind of going through the lesson together and asking those questions with the teacher okay. yeah. um, to see where they're at. Um, so doing it maybe four times a year and not for every single lesson but we have other schools where they really are taking a cohort of teachers and every time that they're thinking about using technology asking them to go through the framework Mm -hmm. and um, to take a look at what they're doing Um, often that is with an instructional coach and in districts that have an instructional coach and what I have found with the framework and I think others have found too is that the more you use the framework the less you have to use it um, because you get used to immediately looking for oh is there social learning here is are there higher level thinking skills happening is it is are there real world 
connect is there a real world connection you don't have to go through and score it you can almost watch a lesson or look at a lesson and immediately have a gut feeling if this is going to be a high or low score on the framework and it's not a perfect tool by any means you know you might score a five and i'll score a ten but what I think it has done is that it's allowed us to have a lot more deeper conversation around the choices we're making with technology in the classroom, asking why questions a lot more than we have been before, um, rather than focusing so much on, you know, the shiny tool that we picked. Yeah, because, yeah, down the road, there's always going to be that next shiny tool. <laughs> right. But, um, yeah, instructionally, what are we what are we focused on? Liz, if we can switch a little bit, um, you are uh, uh, working here at the University of Michigan, as we said. Um, how is the university or the School of Ed, how are they bringing in uh, training for pre-teachers, um, whether it's using the framework or other things with integrating technology? What, what work's being done here at the School of Ed? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I love that you're asking that question. Um, I'm really proud of a lot of the work that we're doing here. We're definitely using um, the framework uh, here at the school. (laughs) We're we're preparing our teachers to use it. Um, But um, one of the things that I think is really unique to the University of Michigan and our School of Education is that we do a lot of embedded um, teaching, which means that we are out in the local school systems teaching our classes there so that our teachers get to um, experience Uh, using technologies in a more complex context than just safe here at the university classroom. And I think that's really important to see all the complexities of technology in a real classroom. So, um, for example, we have a a digital citizenship project that we do every fall um, in our local middle schools here. And the teachers go out to the middle schools, they prepare lessons um, on uh, media literacy, on digital safety, on digital identity, on, on internet Uh, positive internet mental health and they work with sixth seventh and eighth graders with these lessons and um, they integrate technology into them they see the complexity of it they get to revise their lesson and try it again they work with um, and we work with the the ELA teachers to do that kind of thing Um, so we try as much as we can to bring the technology bring the teachers our teachers into the actual classrooms with the technology rather than keeping them isolated at the university level they're learning all those mistakes that you learn as you were uh, teaching and and being the coordinator. Right, right, right. That's powerful. Um, so when teachers, when teachers, uh, the pre-teachers, they get out into the classrooms, um, do they have feedback as far as uh, ways that they've continued to use the framework? Do you do you stay in contact with those those teachers and what experiences? do they then have mm-hmm. in their in their real classrooms? Absolutely. Um, we stay in contact with, with all of our graduates, and um, there are many that come back to us and, and, you know, come back to me and ask all sorts of questions about technology choices they're making or if their district's looking at a new tool or application, how they can use the framework to evaluate that tool okay. or application. Um, we also have an annual conference every year, virtual conference, where oh. we invite 
the alums to come back and share okay. uh, projects and activities they're doing that meet the Tripoli framework. Okay. Um, so is that a conference just for uh, no? It's graduates? actually just open to everybody. Oh. It's a free open conference. What's that um, conference? It's, it's called the Four T Virtual Conference. Four T Virtual. Yeah, okay. and and um, it's just an opportunity to really think about high level use of technology, and it's based off of the Tripoli framework, meaning that you know the. The projects or activities that are presented, we we want them to meet all three of those E's so that yeah. we can see some really high level activities and projects. And um, I, I always qualify that by saying that doesn't mean that it's they're using super shiny tools. Sometimes yeah. it's um, one, for example, one graduate of our program um, works in a, 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 a Title One school district where he created an email mentorship between his high school um, 11th graders and um, some graduates of the school system that had been successful to help with them with writing, but also to help them with just their future professional growth and development. And it was this really, really smart use of email to yeah. meet his learning goals and also to provide this mentorship. And it was nothing fancy, but it definitely met all three of those E's to yeah, do that. Yeah, think of email you're like oh <laughs> it's antiquated in a way but yeah what's the purpose of instruction what you're trying to do absolutely wow. yeah yeah i think that was one thing um in in going through um teaching first and technology second you have the list of, of the technologies and are there maybe a dozen of different technologies that you have listed it, it's not a a huge list no but there's so many practical deep and, and rich ways that you can use a lot of those tools from just simple Google Docs to learning management systems that as as teachers are thinking about what they're trying to do, they don't have to have a huge toolbox of, of technologies. No, and I often get the question, you know, what do I do with the, the teachers that really are afraid of technology and they mm. don't want to do this and this is very threatening to them and I think sometimes it's threatening because they look around and see these teachers doing like coding and movie making and podcasting in their classroom yeah. and they feel overwhelmed by it yeah. um, but one of the things that I think it's important to emphasize is it's really about quality over quantity um, for for a teacher using something as simple as, as Microsoft Word or Microsoft PowerPoint can actually be really powerful if you're using the right pedagogical strategies with it. Yeah. I um, just saw a video of a teacher who was using PowerPoint um, to uh, talk about um, visualization when students were reading text is how they visualize something. And so mm. she just puts images in um, from the text into this PowerPoint and took the images out of the text and worked with a small group of the students to discuss this. And she just would flash the images with the PowerPoint um, occasionally when it made sense in her discussion. And it was an extremely powerful use of the tool. The images were authentic from real life. Um, she had a high level discussion happening. It it was social. She was really meeting all of those E's and she was just using PowerPoint. Yeah. Um, and if she had tried to have everybody make a movie, I don't actually think they would have gotten as much learning out of it. So I try to emphasize to students or to, sorry, to teachers <laughs> yeah. um, that it's really not about using the fanciest technology. Pick one or two technologies that you think might be useful all year mm -hmm. and bring them in when it makes sense to your learning goals um, rather than having 500 apps on your iPad. Um, some of the best teachers I've seen who use technology in their classroom have, you know, three or four go-to pieces of technology um, that they tend to use yeah. um, often. And yeah. they do tend to be more creation-type tools 
um, rather than drill practice type yeah. things. Yeah. Well, and 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 again, going back to the the three E's. Yeah, the co-use, the critical thinking, the higher questioning. Yeah, if that's what you're trying to do, then some of the basic technology that can support that. But again, goes. I always go back to instruction, right? Right. It really does. It really goes <laughs> yeah. back to how you use it. Uh, you know, a tool is only as good as um, the teacher using it. And I always like to say that a great technology tool is not going to make a bad teacher great. And, you know, a great t- teacher can do wonderful things with what we might consider to be a poorly made technology tool. Love that. Love that <laughs> idea. <laughs> um, so kind of speaking about... Um, some technologies. Um, you're uh, you're on the uh, COSIN advisory board um, for mobile learning and emerging technologies. Um, as you were on that board, um, or as you're on that board, what what were some of these emerging things that you're seeing that are are possibly going to uh, help with some of the shifts in in teaching and learning today? Or in the future? Well, I think there's a lot of interesting things happening. I should say I just uh, stepped off that board, um, but I was on it for a few years. And it, it was really interesting to see and talk about some of the kind of up and comers. Um, a couple areas that are being looked at, one is like the, the wearable technologies um, yeah. has become uh, very popular in society. And now schools are considering, is it something they can use for classroom management? Is it something they can use for behavior? Is it something they can use for personalizing learning in some way? Um, I think they're still figuring it out, mm-hmm. but it's definitely an area and a field that is being looked at heavily um, by kind of emerging education movements. I think the other area that we're seeing a lot more in now is kind of the virtual reality, the augmented reality. I know here actually at the School of Education at Michigan, we use some of that um, to prepare our teachers. Mm. We use um, tools like Teach Live, um, which was created down in Florida, but um, where our pre-service teachers get to experience kind of a virtual reality simulated Um, you know, classroom, and they can practice teaching things that might be difficult to practice um, when they're in their teaching placements for a variety of of reasons or constraints. So it gives them those opportunities to practice with a more or less authentic audience um, that reacts to what they're saying and and feels very real to them. I think I've maybe seen a video on that. Is that a, that's a simulation that um, are they real people on the other end, or is it kind of a computer simulation? It's, it's, it's a computer simulation. And so, the but kids are yelling and screaming. They're trying to calm them down, type <laughs> right. of thing. Right. It's a computer simulation. So they're animated, and it's a classroom of you know right. five students, and they all have their own personalities. Okay. And um, so you can, you know, it gives our our teaching interns an opportunity to practice maybe. Yeah. Um, a lesson before they teach it or if they want to practice you know maybe their classroom management skills gives them an opportunity to try some different things yeah it's not 100 percent real because sure. you know they can't do things like physically move closer to a student yep. per se but yep. um so that's another area that um i think uh both schools of education and k-12 schools are kind of looking at and thinking about how they can tap into yeah that, that's a long way from my student teaching experience where I was trying a different classroom management style and the cooperating teacher said, yeah, I was going to see how long you'd uh, take to finally switch that style of, of <laughs> management there. Right. <laughs> That's fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, Liz, you're also uh, a board member of McCall. And so what, as a, as a board member, what are uh, you seeing? Um, what's the board seeing um, as 
what's next on the horizon that they're really trying to promote here here in the state of Michigan? Sure. Um, so McCall is really looking at um, uh, what their members want. And I think one of the things that has has been has risen to the top um, besides kind of particular movements like PBL and, and STEM um, type curriculums has also been this idea that they don't just want tools Mm. um that they want to know what do i do with it once i have the tool because we have a lot of tools so how do i implement it how is it effective how do i know if it's effective um and they want things that are more kind of long-term and sustained so a one-time conference is nice it kind of gets you know them excited um but they want to know how they can continue the learning beyond the conference and they want kind of more long-term sustained experiences with technology uh, knowing that learning technology it, it takes time to marinate and it's not something that happens overnight. Yeah. Um, so McCall is really looking at different ways to offer that to their membership. Yeah, and, and I've seen they've had uh, a bunch of small little kind of mini conferences mm-hmm. um, scattered throughout the year and then the one big one in March. Yeah, and they are trying, um, they are going to start, there's going to be a kind of a northern Michigan uh, conference that will begin, um, I think next fall, okay. um, just because our poor Northern Michiganders <laughs> don't always get to, you know, it's hard to travel eight to nine hours. Yeah. It's a long day of travel yeah. for our folks up in the uh, yes. UP. <laughs> yeah. So Liz, you've got to teach class in a little bit. I, do. I yes. appreciate you <laughs> uh, stealing some of your time here. Um, one kind of last little question. So for teachers that are beginning with this technology, um, or feel really comfortable with just bringing in technology, what advice might you have for teachers in the idea of integrating or using technology? It's mm, a really good uh, uh, kind of question. I think there's two pieces of advice. One is, it's almost the title of my book, but one is, <laughs> you know, make sure that you don't forget what your learning outcome is or what your goal ultimately is that what you want the students to get out of this. If your goal is I want students to, you know, learn how to use GarageBand, then that's your goal. Um, Mm -hmm. But if your goal is I want students to understand um, uh, the differences between different habitats, um, then make sure that you're choosing a tool that makes sense to help students not only meet that goal, but that is actually going to help them kind of engage more in that learning goal in ways that they couldn't without technology tools. So that is kind of one is just like keep your eyes on the prize. Keep your eyes on the goal um, because it's so easy with technology to veer off of that and then realize later on that you didn't actually end up meeting the goal, even if everybody had fun. Um, and kind of uh, the, the second um, uh, piece of advice is that you as a teacher you know best. You've you have an education degree. You know the science of learning. You know how students learn. Um, don't let a ed tech company mm-hmm. um, uh, tell you how students learn because you know how students learn. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that you shouldn't use the tool if you don't see all the pieces of the science of learning in that tool. But it means you know that you're going to have to add good pedagogical strategies around that tool in order for it to really be effective in your classroom. Um, and so you have to gauge the worth of that. I, I really love both of those especially the second one, because whether it's ed tech companies or curriculum companies sure. too, Same come thing, in and right. saying, here's here's the best new curriculum. And if you just follow this, 
your your kids are going to do much better. Yeah. It always comes down to the practice of the teacher, the right. art of teaching, as as we refer to it. So that that's great advice for really a brand new teacher or a teacher that's been teaching thirty plus years, which. There's still some out there. Yeah, there's no magic snake oil. You know, it really comes <laughs> down to the teacher. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, Liz, um, again, thank you for your work with the, the Tripoli Framework um, for the book. Uh, and and you've written other books, um, which uh, we, we, we've talked about in our introduction. But um, Learning First, Technology Second, um, where can people get a, a copy of your book? They absolutely can get one on Amazon um, or they can go to ISTE.org and get yeah. one there too. And I would recommend everybody go and <laughs> purchase that book. But they can also learn more about the, the Tripoli framework uh, through your website. Can you share maybe some good resources that our listeners could uh could go to learn more about the framework, but also uh, to contact you. How can they reach out to you as well? Sure. Um, you can learn a lot more about the framework if you go to tripleeframework.com. And um, it's completely all the resources that are open and um, free uh, for you to use. Uh, we have uh, rubrics that you can download and use. There's also interactive online rubrics. Uh, the research that informs the framework is also shared on there. Yeah. There's suggestions for pedagogical strategies at each of the E's um, that might help to make a good lesson even better. Uh, we also have some stories um, from teachers who shared their lessons and how um, they were able to um, make sure that their lessons were fitting the framework. So those are in the blog part of it. Okay. Um, so lots of great resources on there. And if you um, would like to contact me, you absolutely can um, contact me through Twitter. Um, I am L. Kolb on Twitter, or you can contact me through my um, university email um, which is E-L-I-K-E-R-E-N at U-M-I-C-H dot E-D-U. Again, Liz, thank you for the time and uh, all, all the work that you've helped many teachers out there in many school districts. Thank you, Liz. Great. Thank you. So, Zach, that was my conversation with Dr. Liz Cobe. Um, you heard some of her past experiences in helping kind of form the Tripoli framework, um, some examples of classroom experiences that she's witnessed with the Tripoli, and then some of the work happening at the University of Michigan through McCall and other advisory boards. Um, what were what were some takeaways for you? Yeah, I really appreciate how that focus constantly on practicality. <laughs> it was great. So it was a wonderful experience for me to hear Liz Kolb articulating the motivations behind the framework and especially how she feels it can best be used. And in that sense, Eric, I really noticed right away how Liz mentioned that like even over the course of the questions being asked to address the framework, how someone had approached her and said, well, can I maybe ask questions in a little bit different way? Can I adapt it a bit? And her immediate response being, even though there's a, a well-researched framework developed here, that it can still be adapted to best meet the needs of a context. And that was that's huge because we know that you can't just take a single idea and put it in every context in education. So to find ways to apply in a practical sense, how do those questions in the framework, how do the three E's themselves 
best fit with what's happening in your school, in your district, in your classroom. That was really appreciated that. Yeah, you know, Zach, that, that brings up a good point. In this case, Liz uh, talks about the AAA framework and its adaptability. Um, but, you know, if you look at really all frameworks that, that are out there, there is some adaptability. Um, you know, Charlotte Danielson's uh, framework, uh, which now is an evaluative tool. Uh, I've heard I've heard her at a conference talk about, no, this is a, a framework, a roadmap, if you will, of good instruction, enhancing that instruction. And, you know, there are certainly other frameworks, the instructional transformation matrix that, that we developed at, at CBD and the technology integration uh, matrix, all just frameworks that, that certainly have some adaptability um, and not this is the program that you, that you need to follow. Um, and any of these frameworks really, they should just help teachers understand what different aspects or characteristics they're trying to incorporate or enhance in their uh, instruction. And then go through what the next steps are to elevate what they're what they're currently doing or maybe that they want to do. And so these frameworks just give some of that guidance of ways to elevate that learning. Absolutely. And you said it, it's it's roadmap, it's guidance. And I think too easily in education, we take a look at something like this, something that's well-developed and that can be highly effective. And we say this is perfect for evaluation, for checklists, for, you know, if I check off all the boxes, I have an excellent lesson. Um, and that just that just is not the spirit behind it. Um, even the comment that Liz Kolb made about how, you know, over time as teachers use the framework more, they need to refer to it less and less. She makes that comment in your conversation because the idea being once I understand the concepts, then when I look at my lesson, I don't have to go back to the framework and check the boxes again. Right. I can say, I see here real world, real world application. I see here an engaging experience and those kinds of things. So, um, you know, even along the idea of evaluation, evaluation doesn't have to be uh, a negative stigma. Evaluation in terms of my own self-evaluation and my interest in trying to support my teachers from the administrator's perspective, the idea of evaluation is to, as you said, Eric, to elevate the teaching and learning that's happening. Yeah. So even just for reflective practice for yep. the teacher who can look at the tool and reflect on lessons and things like that is highly valuable. Well, and, and yeah, as, as she brings up too, you know, the, the framework, really the questions, the, uh, there are nine questions that a teacher an administrator or even a tech coordinator can be looking at those nine questions. They're very open-ended, if you will. They're very, uh, uh versatile. Um, but even a, a tech director might look at these and use that to help evaluate the technology that maybe they're selecting. So that's one of the, the great things about the Tripoli framework, um, the, the research into this, but then just the structure um, that Liz put together for this framework. It, it is easy to use, um, but it's, it's so vast in how many different ways it can be brought in. And like you said, teachers don't have to always refer back to the framework. They get used to this, this thinking and the kind of the big topics of this to really focus in on how is the technology helping me engage the learning, enhance the learning, extend the learning. 
And for our audience purposes, always remember that we enjoy the conversation with any educator. How can we support you and talk through the teaching and learning in your classroom, whether it's through a framework like this or just to bounce ideas and brainstorm? We can connect via cbdconsulting.com slash elevateedu. Thanks again for listening. If you haven't yet deduced, at CBD, we believe the best kind of professional growth comes from conversations with other professionals. So we have devoted ourselves to ensuring any educator anywhere can have that opportunity. Our virtual coaching service guarantees that. Check us out on cbdconsulting.com slash elevate edu. You can share thoughts with just an email or quick text or dive right into a conversation by phone or video chat. We look forward to hearing from you.